The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Ben Levison, Deputy Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn about more about what's happening with the economy and the markets. My guests today are Barron's senior writer, Nicholas Jasinski, and Chris Harvey, Wells Fargo Securities Head of Equity Strategy. Welcome, Chris and Nick. It's great to have you both on Barron's Live. Hi, Ben. Thanks, Ben. So, Chris, we've just gotten back from Thanksgiving. We've been greeted with some renewed selling, some fears about the Fed. It feels like a big change from October and earlier in this month when stocks were just chugging merrily higher. Um, is this the end of the Christmas rally? Yeah. So, so Ben, I'm not sure I would call it a Christmas rally. I, I, I'd probably call, more call it the CPI rally. And, and if you look at what happened earlier this month, market was down heading into the CPI print. That print came in um, cooler or lighter than expected, and the equity market popped five and a half percent. And and then ever since then, we've basically been treading water. We've been in this thirty-nine to four thousand range, mm-hmm. and, and I, I think that's right. That's that's the top end of our trading range. Um, going looking forward, right, we're going to have another CPI print on the thirteenth, and I think the market will trade in line to maybe slightly better into that print. But once we get to that print, it's a it's a bit of a coin toss. And, and the last thing I'll say is just in the here and now, we are having some volatility coming out of China with some of the protests and concerns about um, how that could affect the supply chain. We're having issues with uh, Powell's going to speak later on today. That's weighing on things. But overall, I think things are OK. The holiday season is shaping up fine. We'll probably trade sideways to up until the 13th. And then the 13th is a coin toss. Yeah, I want to talk more about that coin toss uh, that you mentioned, because that's a big two-day period that we have, first with that inflation reading, and then the next day we'll have the uh, December FOMC rate decision. Um, and, you know, what do you think is going to determine which side the coin ends up on, uh, whether it ends up being a bullish event or a bearish one? Oh, Ben, Ben, that's a great question. It's partly a great question because I, I'm, I'm not sure I know the full answer to that. So. With with CPI, I do think inflation has peaked, but with any one print, anything can happen. And, and what we've been seeing with several of the CPI prints is we've had some very uh, aggressive or violent, sharp uh, reactions to the print, both positive and, and negative. And, and it's not clear to me what's going to happen. What I would say is if I kind of spec it out, if the print comes in lighter, I think we're going to run into year year end. I think we could get to 42, maybe 4,300 on the S&P 500. Um, again, the, the holiday season is shaping up pretty well. The Fed will probably say 50 basis points when they talk. Most of the Fed speak and, and Fed concerns are priced in. And, and we have a pretty good run. If, if something comes in, if CPI comes in a little bit hotter, I don't think we give back all that 5%. I think it's more, more or less down 2%. And, and then similar to what we've done this month, then it's just kind of flat lines in, into year end. And, and I think maybe the Fed could you know, keep us from basically what's going to happen is the Fed may counteract some of the CPI. Um, and the last thing I'll say on this, at, at some point, 
the market needs to start looking through these CPI prints and, and agreeing with our thoughts that inflation has peaked and, and is going to come down. And, and perhaps that's going to happen um, next month, but, but we'll see. And I, I just think it's too much of, a, of an uncertainty for things to, to pan out. But those are the two scenarios we're playing. And if we do get that better scenario, you know, we'd want to reposition the portfolio and take a little bit more of a defensive stance and use that as an opportunity to just take down risk a little bit. Um, that's an interesting thing, uh, thought that you had there, though, because so you're still not looking to get long even more to for, for a much bigger rally. You're still looking at for opportunities to sell. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say let, let me let me phrase it this way. I, I don't think I don't think we've we really have carved out a period where we can make sustained gains just yet. The Fed is still the Fed is toward the end of its cycle, but it's not over, and there's still a bit of a question mark around that. Um, the The economy is slowing down, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later. The economy is slowing down, but more importantly, I think EPS estimates are a little bit too high, and we need to mark those down. And typically, we won't see that marked down until you have fourth quarter numbers reported, which is January of next year. And so, we really want to see those numbers come down. We want to get a little bit further, closer to the end of what we think is the, the Fed cycle. And, and we want to see some of that, uh, infl- not just um, some of that economic uh, slowdown to, to start to show its head before we can get really constructive on things. Right now, we just it's more about managing risk and, and preserving capital than, than making big upside gains. And, and what do you make of the, I mean, it's probably not fair to call it a fixation on the Fed because the Fed really does seem like the most important thing. But it, I've seen some people talking about needing to shift from away from what the Fed is going to do and start looking at the economic data and trying to, you know, and, and letting that determine how you want to uh, position for uh, for the future. Um, is it, can the market really not bottom until the Fed says, okay, we're done? Um, or it can, if the economy holds up, can it, uh, can it continue to rise? Yep. So a couple of things, and let me see, uh, I probably won't, won't hit this out of the park, but let me see if I can hit some of the higher points. Well, the first thing I would say, and, and everyone's heard this, you know, the phrase don't fight the Fed, it, it's still applicable, right? And, and why is it applicable? Well, let's, let's take a step back. We've had a bear market this year. We've been down more than 20%. I think we're, we're down mid-teens at, at this point in time, right? But if you look at the fundamentals, yes, the fundamentals aren't getting better and they're at the margin getting a little bit worse, but this is nowhere like 08 where we had Bear Stearns and Lehman and Freddie Fannie going belly up, right? Really what this bear market has been predicated on is the cost of change in the cost of capital. The cost of capital is more than doubled. And if you think about any sort of dividend discount model, if your E stays the same, but your cost of capital goes higher, terminal value goes down. And that's exactly what happened, right? Everything's repricing based on a new cost of capital. And think about this, right? Um, 10-year treasuries are yielding 1.5% to start the year. We've gotten over four, over four. We're about three and three quarters right now. That's a massive change. You also have credit spreads widening out from 90 basis points. Um, and, and now we're in this 130 to 160, 165 range. And that's really important. And all this has been related to the fact that the Fed has got, been going at 75 basis points at a clip, which is something that nobody expected, myself included, mm-hmm. nobody expected, and, and, and nobody w- would predict that to occur. So until the Fed gets out of the way, it's really hard to find that, that viable bottom. And also, the Fed has been underestimating things for a while. 
which which leaves a, a decent probability that they'll, they'll continue to underestimate things. And so until you know for certain that they're done and they're going to step out of the way, it's just a tough environment to, to get really constructive in. Hey, Chris, the, the uh, futures market pricing has uh, Fed funds rate coming down in the second half of next year, which be pretty considerably. Do you buy that? Seems to me like that would require the economy to be in such bad shape that, that we'll have bigger problems than that. Yeah. yeah, so the the easy answer to that is if you're cutting rates, we're definitely in a recession and something bad has happened. Do I think they're going to cut? Um, the first thing, the second thing to say is the Fed has been very adamant that they're going to keep terminal higher and higher for longer. So, and one of the things that the Fed has been trying, seems to be trying to do is communicating in their communication is that they've been trying to squeeze out those cuts, right? Because that that works against them to some degree with regard to financial conditions and and interest rates. Um, it, I, I, for now, I'm going to go under the belief that the Fed will not be cutting in, in 2023. And, and what I think, and, and maybe we'll get to this in a little bit, I do think there's going to be a recession but I think that recession is going to feel more like an economic malaise. And we're not going to have this big, sharp drop down, which is going to cause the Fed to, to need to, to do some emergency cuts or really for the Fed to, to step in here and, and start providing more accommodation. I think this malaise is just going to kind of, for lack of a better phrase, kind of bleed out and bleed out. And it's just going to weigh on sentiment. I don't see, and if that's true, I really don't see them changing Fed funds. But what will likely happen is you will see interest rates go down before the Fed does. And effectively, you're, you're going to have, you know, kind of a de facto cut or, or lower interest rates. So, no, I don't I don't think that's going to occur. If it does occur, you know, something bad has happened. And, and more importantly, it's, we're probably in this economic malaise going forward, which which really doesn't um, probably doesn't spur any sort of cuts um, in 2023. That's interesting. Um, so, I mean, I mean, it's, it's it's so very different from what we've been through in the, in the last few uh, recessions that we had. Um, so why don't we turn to some of the economic data that we're getting this uh, week? Um, Nick, um, I know some of this is going to help, uh, the, help us think about what the Fed might do. The biggest is going to be November's payrolls report, uh, which is due this Friday. What's the market expecting? Yep, it's uh, Jobs Friday. Um, so right now, the, the consensus estimate among economists is for 202,500, so call it 203,000 jobs added in November, and that would be down from 261,000 added in October. And the unemployment rate is expected to remain right where it is at 3.7%. Um, and I feel like that could be a, a somewhat of a Goldilocks number. It, um, it would continue the trend that we've seen in the past few months of slower hiring each month. Um, which many expect could ease some of the upward pressure on inflation. And, and that's something that Fed officials have spoken about as well. Um, but it's also, it's not a collapse in hiring that would make investors panic about the state of the economy. Um, so it's kind of right down the middle. And, and uh, if that comes in near the consensus number, I think that would actually be pretty bullish for the market. Um, it would be interesting to look under the hood of the report as well, where, where what sectors, what areas of the economy hiring is slowing the most. Um, there's like daily headlines, it feels like, about layoffs at tech companies lately. Um, in the past few months, we've seen uh, really in construction jobs, um, some of the slowdown. That's that's the more interest rate sensitive sector of the economy, like housing. Um, and then October also tends to be the start of seasonal hiring by retailers ahead of the holiday season. 
Um, so it'll be interesting to compare trends there to last year and, and the year before. Um, I should also mention this morning, we got the October JALTS report. That's the uh, Job Openings and Labor Turnover Survey, JALTS. Um, and that showed 10.3 million job openings in October, which was down 350,000 from September. Um, again, continues a downtrend. We're about a million and a half openings below the high from earlier this year, but that's still a huge number by historical standards. The pre-pandemic all-time high was 7.6 million job openings compared with 10.3 million in October, which was reported this morning. So the overall picture after Friday's jobs numbers could be the trends are in the right direction. Um, the job market is getting looser, but not dramatically weaker. And I expect that would be bullish for the market. I've heard some people say that, uh, you know, the, the decline in jolts, even if they're large, uh, doesn't necessarily translate over to the, to the payrolls reports just because there is uh, such a big gap there. Um, there are so many, so many job openings still. Uh, Chris, do you buy that? So, um, so what, I, what I buy is that the, the job picture is slowing, but it does remain very healthy. And, and it's much stronger than I, than I would have expected and I think many other people would expect. And, and here's kind of the funny thing. You, you are seeing people being laid off a lot and more your growth in your tech sectors, but they're being picked up or they appear to be being picked up in a lot of your older economy um, type sectors, whether it's it's manufacturing or, or industrials or, or what have you, right? And so you're seeing a little bit of a rotation. There's still not enough, there appears to be not enough workers out there at, at this juncture. I would agree that as the, the numbers begin to soften, you know, the bad news is good news, especially with regard to the Fed, because this is one of the, the issues. The wage inflation is still above where they want it to be. And if it begins to correct, um, you should start to see that wage inflation weaken. But it's it's been very strong. And, and you know, this has been one of the things we've been talking about and, and thinking about is that the U.S. economy still remains much stronger than, than people had expected. The old economy sectors, whether it's energy or industrials or materials, um, have been much stronger than expected. And the recovery continues to go on. And this is continues to drive the, the job picture, which makes any type of recession much different than, than we've seen in the past. Um, okay. And then we're also going to get the PCE price index this week. That's from October, though. A little stale. Uh, Nick, what's it going to tell us? Yeah, so the um, yeah, the uh, expectations are for the headline index to be up 6% from a year earlier. It'll be down from 6.2% in September, and for the core to be at 5%, which would be down from 5.1% in September. So again, a little bit of easing there. Trend is in the right direction. Um, but like you mentioned, Ben, it's, it's going to be, that data is a month old. Um, barring a big surprise, I don't expect that to be particularly market moving. Um, we have uh, CPI the week after next for uh, for November on December 13th, which will be more timely. And, and I think that'll uh, probably do more to determine the, because uh, um, then the Fed meets um, that day and the next day they, they have a decision out on December 14th. So that'll be a bigger week for um, inflation and, and Fed news. Yeah, and, and Chris, you said that you think inflation has, has peaked. Um, right. How important is it for the market to come around to that view? And then how quickly does it need, uh, does inflation need to come down for it to really impact the Fed's thinking? Yeah, so I think a lot, um, much of the market has also agreed that inflation has peaked. If, this gets a little wonky, but I'll, I'll try and put it in simple terms. If you look at market-based measures of inflation expectations, what they call break-evens, which is a component of 
uh, nominal rates or, or interest rates. Um, those inflation expectations have actually been coming down ever since the Ukraine war broke out. And so the market actually believes that, that inflation, the Fed either is or, or will do a good job in inflation and will bring it back down. The, the issue is that CPI has stayed stubbornly high and, and the Fed is data point driven or to some degree is data point driven. And until CPI really begins to crack, it's hard for the Fed to, to really kind of ease their stance. But as we look at it, right, the big component within CPI is, is something called auto equivalent rent, which is typically led by home prices. And with home prices getting soft, you should expect over the next couple of months for owner equivalent rent to, to begin to come down and decay. And, and really what the market's arguing about is what that decay looks like, the speed and the magnitude of that decay. But I, I would expect in the next three to six months um, for inflation to come down in, in a pretty healthy manner. This is a very different environment than where we were 12 months ago uh, or 12, 12 plus months ago when people were price unconscious and people were demanding goods or had a lot of, still had a fair amount of pent up demand. You know, what you're seeing is that the consumer is a lot more price conscious. You're seeing mortgage rates much higher. You're seeing the housing market slowing down and all the things you should see to slow inflation are occurring also with the economy slowing down as well. So hard to say on, on any given data point, but overall we think that inflation is coming down, the market's coming around to this. And really the last one is the Fed because the Fed really needs to be 100% confident that they've broken the back of inflation and they need to see CPI come down, which makes makes all these prints so important. I saw one uh, economist uh, put out, I don't think it was actually a forecast, but it was more speculation that uh, perhaps uh, inflation has fallen back to 2% by the end of the year. Do you think that's uh, wishful thinking? I think that's wishful thinking. As as we think about it, it's, I think it's gonna be really hard to get inflation to 2% for any sustained period of time. Because what you're dealing with is a, co a couple issues, right? So I had mentioned own, own equivalent rent or shelter, right? And, and that's very interest rate sensitive and that should, should moderate. But then we have issues with commodities and we have issues with labor. On the commodity side, in many nations and parts of the world, there's a very adversarial relationship between governments and the hydrocarbon space. And, in particular in the US, there's a very adversarial relationship between the administration and their policies in the energy space. And there's a disincentive for many energy companies to, to build and, and create more supply. And that is longer term, that's very inflationary. What I would expect to see for the commodity is quote unquote, higher lows and higher highs because the disincentive that's, that's been created uh, on the supply side. And then when we get to labor, right, many companies have begged, borrowed, and pleaded. They've sent um, candies and flowers and chocolates to people to, to get them to come back to work. And it's not clear to me that we're going to have the same type of um, labor situation or, or um, that, that people react the same way to reducing labor costs during any sort of economic malaise or slowdown because it's cost them so much and, and they're so fearful that people will, will not come back to, to work for them and the labor costs will go even higher. So in a longer term, there's still this issue with demographics in a labor situation, um, various incentives with the labor situation. So you're going to have higher labor costs 
uh, or higher labor costs than you had in the past. You'll probably have higher inflationary costs than you have in the past. And the last thing is the global supply chain has peaked. We're more into onshoring or nearshoring, and that creates frictional costs. And so it's just hard to see us get back down to 2% for any sustained period of time. Three, three and change makes more sense. And I, I would love to see it some, some point in the next 12 months for the Fed to indicate that they're willing to come off that 2% range because I, I just don't see how that works. Got it. Okay. Well, the next thing I wanted to uh, get to was just earnings season. It's pretty much over, um, but we're getting a few stragglers coming in. Um, Nick, can you tell us about uh, Salesforce? Yeah, sure. So um, Salesforce, the report today, Wednesday, uh, November 30th, after the market closes. And um, as everyone knows, that's that's a really a bellwether for, for cloud software companies. So um, what, what Salesforce does is expect peers to move alongside the stock, um, which is down about 40% year date, um, significantly more than the market. Um, this is for their fiscal third quarter, which ends in October. So it's shifted a month from the calendar quarter. Um, Revenue is expected to be up 14% and uh, earnings per share to be down 4%. So what I would do is really focus on free cash flow. They do a lot of adjustments to their earnings and they issue a lot of stock-based compensation. So the, uh, the, the adjusted earnings numbers are, are a little funky. Um, free cash flow is expected to be 418 million. Um, I, really what I expect is that what management says about how businesses are spending on software in this shakier outlook or a slowing economy, I think that'll do more to determine the stock reaction, which, um, I mean, it tends to be volatile. A 10% move after earnings is not rare for Salesforce. Um, so I think the, the yeah, focus on the outlook. Okay. And what about, uh, you know, we have two kind of grocers here, uh, Dollar General and Kroger. Yeah, those are both uh, Thursday morning. Um, so among in, in retail this year, a lot of the pain has been due to consumers cutting back on discretionary purchases as inflation takes a bite out of uh, budgets. Um, that's been particularly pronounced among lower income shoppers. Um, so on the surface for, for Kroger and Dollar General, the setup appears pretty good. They're both focused on essentials like groceries, basic home products, um, and they have that value positioning. Even when prices rise, um, people still need to buy food, they need to buy toilet paper, other necessities. Um, so, so when consumers are worried about rising prices, being a dollar retailer, that's a, that's a good kind of mind share to have there. Um, and then it just becomes a matter of passing on higher costs um, so I would focus on profit margins. I think that'll be the most interesting part. Um, Kroger, like I mentioned, both of them are Thursday morning. Kroger earnings are expected to be up 5% from a year ago. Sales up 7%. So a little bit of uh, earnings contraction. Um, other Kroger news recently, they, they agreed to merge with um, Albertsons. It's another grocer. Um, and the stock has had a great year. They're, uh, it's up uh, about 10%, even as the S&P 500 has tumbled double digits. Um, for Dollar General, things are look even better there. Sales are expected to be up 11% and earnings up 22% from a year ago. Um, their, uh, their main rival in the space, Dollar Tree, had a pretty disappointing quarter last week. Um, but I think that has to come down, comes down to a little more of a focus on discretionary items at Dollar Tree than at Dollar General. Um, and then they also have this multi-year turnaround story for uh, Family Dollar, which is one of Dollar General's brands. Um, so there's, there's a, there's, there are a lot of things to like from both of those companies, I expect. Okay. Um, and, and Chris, uh, you know, when, uh, in, a, in a note a couple of weeks ago, um, you cited some uh, concerning corporate outlooks uh, this earnings season. Uh, 
Flexit Target, Micron, Capital One. One of our readers uh, has uh, written in and asked, you know, he said that he's seen some analysts saying that uh, this rally in the market can't last and that uh, in the first quarter, um, uh, companies were going to, in his words, unleash downward earnings uh, revisions that will pummel stocks. And he wants to know, what are your thoughts on that? And uh, what is, you know, you're uh, looking into uh, for, for earnings for 2023 and what it'll mean for the market? Okay, great. Um, so there's a lot there, and let me see if I can unpack it piece by piece. Right. So the first thing I would say is that I do think earning expectations have to be managed down for next year. Um, I believe people are expecting to see a 6% EPS growth rate for next year. And I think that's that's a little bit too optimistic, and especially in this late in the cycle and in a, a slowing period. Uh, I wouldn't use the word pummel, right? So let's, let's um, move back to CPI, right? A, a lot of this is, is really contingent upon what happens with CPI. You get CPI, and as we were saying before, if it comes in light, you rally. And I think in that rally, that, that makes stocks a little bit more vulnerable to a pullback. It, if you get CPI coming in too hot and, and stocks pull back, they're, they're not going to be as vulnerable coming into some of these numbers. But ultimately, I, I don't think stocks can really begin to work until you do bring down expectations. And, and what we're telling clients is go to the places where expectations have already been lowered. And we're seeing that in smaller caps. We're seeing that in some of the, the Garpy names. But, but to, to answer the question, I think things aren't great. Um, folks are probably a little bit too optimistic. It's been our belief that numbers this year would be fine partly because some of your old economy sectors and stocks um, punch above their weights and earning contribution, and that's been true. But as the economy slows down, uh, we're gonna have a change of view um, in, in next year. And, and it is true, I, I do think that expectations have to come down and, and 2023 or the beginning of 2023 is when you'll start to see that. Um, Nick, I know you had a, a question about uh, uh, some of uh, Chris's uh, strategic sector positioning. Wanna yeah, so, so um, I, I assume you're working on your 2023 outlook and maybe this will change, but I know for, for a lot of this year, you've been, uh, you had this barbell strategy, some defensives on one end, food and beverage stocks, and then energy stocks, which are obviously very tied to, to the uh, economic performance on the other end. Can, can you explain that positioning and, and how you're thinking about that as we move into next year? Sure, sure. So our our strategy has been barbell all year long, but it's it's changed as well. So our barbell at the beginning of the year, we wanted some food, beverage, tobacco name. We wanted some defenses, which included food, beverage, tobacco. Um, also in the healthcare space, we like the pharmaceuticals, and we wanted to barbell that with a number of more cyclicals. We had a a reopening portfolio that that we would use and a fair amount of that reopening portfolio was energy and energy stocks and um, midway early or mid-june we switched the that barbell from still defensives right but then we took off that cyclicality because what we had seen in the first half of the year where many of the growth stocks had really been derated there was a lot of indiscriminate selling and we started to see more value in, in the, what we call the, the GARP section of the market or the growth at the right price. And, and we also felt at that point in time, being so late in the cycle, we wanted to step off some of that cyclicality. Um, and, and so we switched this barbell to, to more of um, defensives with food, beverage, tobacco, 
uh, pharmaceuticals and, and then GARP or growth at the right price. Um, within the uh, communication space, we're finding a fair amount of that, those GARP names. And that's where we tell people to look. As we go forward in time, I, I think, you know, we are, you're right. We are looking at our, um, our 2023 outlook and we're, we're reviewing some things. On the flip side, we have been very negative on software. We've been very negative on, on retail. And that, that's been a pretty good call um, year to date. And, and it's worked. And typically when things work, the risk reward begins to change. And so we're not as negative on, on some of the software names as, as we're still negative, but not as negative. And, and as, as things begin to change and reprice, we, we will change a little bit similar to how we change that, that barbell approach. But, but for now, I think it, you really do need some, some anchor to the portfolio. And then the more of the alpha opportunities is showing up in some of these former growth names that are, are trading at a reasonable price. So I want to work in another uh, uh, listener question. This one's from Mark, um, who's asking about uh, oil. The the commodity itself is almost flat on the year now. Amazing the round trip it's taken. Um, but oil stocks are still trouncing the market. Some of them are up 50% or more. Um, what do you make of that divergence? And, and yeah. to Mark's question, should, should he take profits on energy stocks now, given the way that the uh, commodity has gone? Yeah, so it, it, it's definitely... So the, the thing to, to remember about energy is, uh, for lack of a better phrase or characterizations, came from a very dark place. And, and energy was a historically low weighting in the S&P 500. Um, energy stocks weren't quite left for dead, but not that long ago, um, energy was almost considered for, for a lot of word. And what energy, stock, what, what energy CEOs had heard and heard very loudly from market participants is, we want you to stop with this this fantasy of growth and, and stop chasing growth at, at any price. And we want you to focus on profitability. And and it took a while, but that message finally sank in. And it sank in partly because the investor community wasn't willing to fund their, their growth endeavors anymore. And so as a result, many of these companies went from more of a growth mentality to a profitability mentality. And that's taken several years to take shape. But we're really seeing the fruits of that today. And what we're seeing with the energy space and, and energy stocks is balance sheets are becoming much more attractive. Um, leverage is being paid down. There's more cash on the balance sheet. In addition to that, they're doing a lot more shareholder friendly activity um, with, with payouts, be it special dividends or, or um, reinstating dividends. And it's if you look at the various styles and baskets out in the marketplace, energy is now showing up in in the momentum bucket. Energy is showing up in the quality bucket. Energy is showing up in um, in dividend yield buckets. And so if the economy is gonna slow down, energy will, um, will take a hit as well. But longer term, it's a place where we're putting a lot of emphasis in it. And one of the things that we're noticing, and we mentioned this on the call, is when a company shows up in this kind of size that it has in, in the momentum bucket, and it, it, it could be, and at times it has been a sign that there's been a, a secular shift. And then when we look at, at the policies in place with the government and what that does to supply and limit supply, that's a pretty good environment longer term. But in the short term, if we're right and the economy does come um, begin to slow down, energy will get hurt. But longer term, I, any sort of pullback 
I think we would use as an opportunity. Um, and, and many of these companies have really changed stripes and they're much more attractive from a long-term point of view because of how they've restructured the balance sheet and how they're managing their business. So Chris, we're, we're running out of time here and I have a few just uh, reader questions I just want to throw at you quickly. Uh, if you have thoughts, great. If not, sure. uh, just pass on it and we'll uh, go to a different one. Uh, the first is, what do you see the prospects for precious metals uh, in early 2023? Are there gold or silver ETFs or stocks that uh, you think could be watching? I know you can't talk stocks, but is, yeah. is it worth watching precious metals this coming year? Uh, it, it's it's definitely worth watching precious metals. Uh, unluckily, it's not my area of expertise. The the only thing I can say, and, and the thing that I, I relate to people is, if you're 40 or less, typically you speculate in cryptocurrencies, and you're probably not speculating in cryptocurrencies anymore. Um, and if you're 40 or older, gold seems to be the, the instrument that you speculate in, and, and it is uh, a bit of a portfolio hedge. Um, Commodities as a whole, uh, it's an area that, that um, especially on the energy side, that we like. But I don't do that much work on on kind of the precious precious metals and and gold and, and silver. So I'll have to okay. take a bit of a pass there. Okay, and that question was from David. This one's from Eric. He's wondering, uh, what do you think about the U.S. dollar? Can it keep going up? Is it going to drop? And uh, what impact would that have on the market? Yeah, so our, our team and we, uh, I work very closely with our rates team and our FX team. Our, our team thinks this is a pause that refreshes. Um, they, they do think that the, um, the, the dollar goes higher. Um, it, it's pulled back a little bit and it recovers. Um, what I would say for equity investors is we are starting to think about looking for with the dollar high um, and we have a bit of a contrarian bend. We are beginning to look overseas and, and look for non-dollar assets in, in the equity space because we're seeing a lot of bargains over there. But to, to answer the question, our, our team thinks that the dollar does does recover, does bounce back a bit from this this recent pullback. Um, and and I'll, I'll leave that to, to their, their discretion. On the equity side, we are looking more and more so outside the U.S. for, for opportunities. Okay. Um, and then this is from Robert. He's wondering which sectors are you overweighting right now? So right now we're, we're overweight food, beverage, tobacco. We're overweight um, healthcare space. Um, we're, um, we're also overweight um, uh, parts of, of consumer discretionary, but more so the, the less, oddly enough, the less discretionary part of consumer discretionary. And, and then we're underweight um, retail and we're underweight software as well. Okay. Um, so as a final question, um, as you've hinted at uh, throughout, it's uh, your head outlook season. In an elevator pitch, what are you expecting from 2023? You know, what What I think 2023 is going to do is going to reward a lot of people, really good risk managers and shorter term traders. I, I think there'll be an opportunity sometime in the first half for a, a, a viable opportunity as expectations go down, but you really need to stay in the game and, and preserve capital and, and manage your risk um, before we get to that level. And, and what I've been telling people is that I, I'm, I really don't care how you do it. You could do it through a low, lower volatility strategy or less risk. You can go through a higher quality. You can take some of our defensive sector positionings. You can even use a momentum strategy, which actually works pretty well during times of stress. But you don't want you want to be very careful about about risk in the first half. 
and just keep it very close to the vest. Because as expectations come down, as the Fed gets further along in its path, those opportunities will open up and you want to be able to exploit them when they do. But it, it, it'll be a pretty volatile environment. It, it'll be a very unusual one because we are coming at this um, in a much different path than we have other recessions or economic malaises. And the opportunity set will be be very dynamic. But keep, you know, keep, keep a lot of powder dry. Um, don't get too optimistic. Be a little bit skeptical in the first part of the year and be very diligent and then wait for the opportunities to come to you. They will come, um, but it, it will take a while. And, and we're thinking the April time period when people report uh, first quarter numbers and, and perhaps they're not as um, strong as expected, that could create the opportunity. And ultimately we do think that uh, as a Fed begins to ease up, that probably eases up on, on interest rates, which does help that those Garvey type names, if you will. And and do you think that the market has, do we retest the S&P 500's lows from earlier this year, or do you think the, the low is in? Yeah, so so uh, I'm going to be quite frank here. We were thinking, so we ran a bunch of scenarios, and, and we got to, in the worst case scenario, um, 32, 3300 on the S&P 500. And we have been thinking that, that perhaps we do retest the lows, um, but we're, you know, we're, we're doing our outlook and, and there's a lot of cross currents that are, that are going on. What I would say more firmly is if CPI does come in um, much lighter than expected and, and we do get a rally, we would use that rally to take down risk of the portfolio because there's going to be a lot of volatility and, and more downside in the first half of the year. It, it's quite possible we retest the lows. Uh, I, I, wouldn't, um, I wouldn't put it past us. Um, but we're still kind of struggling with kind of the shape and, and how we get there. Um, and, and I'm not, it's not clear to me that we'll actually get down to this, this 32, 3300 that we have in our worst case scenarios. Okay. Well, on that happy note, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, so I want to thank uh, Nick and Chris. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you to the audience for tuning in as well. Please join us again tomorrow when Barron's Deputy Editor Alex Ewell and Senior Technology Writer Tate Kim discuss the outlook for tech companies and individual stocks. Thank you again for listening. Stay well and have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.